Father, we praise you because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of his work on the cross, because of your love and saving grace, we can come boldly before your throne and worship at your feet. And today we ask that you give us a renewed sense of who you are and a clear understanding of who we are as we stand and meet at the foot of your word today under the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And I pray that you'll open our hearts and you'll open our ears as we open your word and that its power will produce change in all of us. And I pray specifically today that anyone in this building, anyone listening online who does not have a clear conversion experience with you, Lord Jesus, that today you will bring everyone to salvation. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat and grab your Bibles as we open them and open our hearts to his word today. You can go to Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And last week we jumped into this passage and we're working on making the church great again, right? And uh, we're doing it by attacking fake news with the truth. The fake news we find in the world with the truth that we find in God's word. The only truth that we can trust. The only place we can go where we can trust that people are telling us the truth. That somebody is telling us the truth because John 8.32 says that we will know the truth. And Jesus himself said that the word is truth. God's word is truth. And when we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And this is what we're talking about, you guys. True, foundational biblical teaching is what will change the hearts of men and women in this world. It will change our hearts and it will change our behaviors. It will guide our feet and help us know how to not just survive in this fallen world that we're living in, but to thrive. You want to thrive, don't you? Come on. You want to thrive? You don't want to just survive this thing. I don't. I don't want to just eke my way through it. I don't want to just like, just barely make it through. We are told that we who are in Christ Jesus are given life to live abundantly. We can thrive in this world. We can thrive in the midst of turmoil and chaos. We can thrive in the midst of persecution, as odd as that may sound. Not because of how we feel in the midst of persecution, but because of the truth of God's word, the foundational biblical teachings that will change our perspective on our earthly condition. That's why we're spending the time on this. And what we're, what we're focusing in on last week and this week are two basic foundational doctrines, okay? The first that we worked on last week is the glory of God's holiness. And today we're going to work on the depth of man's depravity, and the sermon title is, I am bad, 
to the bone, and you'll know why we called it that as we work our way down through it, okay? Now, today's goal is this. We want to understand who we are in comparison, not to each other. Remember, that's a, you're a fool. If you compare yourself on how you're doing with other people, if a church compares on how they're doing with another church, the Bible calls us fools in doing that. So we don't do that. We compare ourselves to God. And so we're gonna try to see who we are compared to God's infinite holiness, which is what we worked on last week with this truth. God is infinite in his holiness. Hopefully you're in Isaiah chapter six. We're gonna read it in just a little bit here. But when we talked about his infinite holiness last week, the, the word infinite, if you remember, is this, that God is incalculable in his holiness and unmeasurable in his holiness. Not just our ability to measure it or, or it's unfathomable, our ability to understand it, but just overall in the universe, his holiness is unfathomable and unalterable and undeniable. And Isaiah here in Isaiah chapter six is describing what was a supernatural transportation. He was transported to the very throne room of the God of the universe. Here he is standing before and looking at the pre-incarnate Christ, the Lord. Someone asked me last week, how do you know that he was standing before Christ and not God the Father? Here's an interesting tidbit. In the Hebrew language, whenever they spoke of God the Father and used his name Yahweh, you will see the translation in English is a capital L-O-R-D, all letters capitalized, anytime that we're using the God the Father. In this case, it's not. It's capital L with small O-R-D, but we also know that John tells us in his gospel that Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord. So we know that somehow, supernaturally, he's transported. This is, that's pretty cool, isn't it? You're the only one who thinks it's pretty cool. I mean, isn't that, all, isn't that pretty cool to think that, that that's, God does that kind of stuff? Actually takes his servant and transports him to the very throne room of God to stand before the pre-incarnate Christ, the second person of the Godhead. And he's standing before King Jesus in all of his glory. That's what John tells us that he saw. Jesus is sitting on the throne, high and exalted. And if you remember, we talked about how you and I and everyone who has ever lived and will ever live on the planet are nothing. We are human and we are nothing compared to the king of glory. Look at your notes. I think we're gonna rehearse this. I think I have it in your notes from last week. He's not, Jesus is not just a little better than us. He's not a little higher than us. He's not a little more powerful than us. He's not a perfected version of us. No, he is incomparable in all of his glory to anything else in all the universe. He is infinite in his holiness. We talked about last week that that word holy means totally separate, totally distinct, and totally set apart. But aren't you glad, my friends, that God Almighty in his holiness, that that separation is not separate by distance, but separate like completely different from us, completely different from anything else and completely distinct, not at all like us. And yet this God of holiness, 
has chosen to be near to us and to come and make a bridge, make a way for us to come to him. How awesome is that? We're going to work on that today. The passage says that the whole earth, the, the, the seraphims are crying, the whole earth is full of his glory as though the entire universe is joining in that chorus that there is a thrice holy God who made all of this and is choreographing everything that happens in it to complement his glory and his honor, not ours. And so that reminds us that this world is not about us. That this life we're living in Jesus Christ, for those of us who know him, it's not about us and about our comfort and about our protection and about everything going the way we planned it to go. It's not about us. Everything is happening according to the majestic honor and glory of King Jesus, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, no matter what's happening in our world. So... There's the scene, okay? That's where we are today. There's Isaiah, just a normal guy. And when he is confronted with the infinite, unmeasurable, infallible, undeniable, unalterable holiness of God Almighty, how does he respond? That's what we're going to lean into. So let's look at Isaiah 6, and let's back up to verse 3 as we take a run into verse 5 and see how Isaiah responds. You ready? Verse three, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory and the sound of their voices. At that sound, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me. I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes, my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You guys, this was really happening in real time for Isaiah. You have to understand that. This isn't just some nighttime story we're supposed to tell our kids. This is really happening. Isaiah stood before the throne, standing before King Jesus in all of his glory. And Isaiah is experiencing it. He's experiencing in this moment the reality of the moment that really exists even today, right now, the seraphim are crying out to each other above the throne. Jesus is sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father, high and exalted, and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And my friends, are you listening? Are you awake? Your eyes are gonna see this someday. Carl, I thought I would get at least one woohoo. Just one, okay? Just one woohoo. You want to practice it? Come on, you can do better than that. Woohoo! Yeah, baby, come on. Are you a little bit excited that your eyes are going to see his glory? The same thing, the same thing that Isaiah stood here. 
The same thing that's happening right now, this very moment in heaven, your eyes are going to behold. How will you respond? Okay, I just have to... I just have to, <laughs> you're catching on. How, how do you respond right now? Do you realize, do you really understand that because of the work of Jesus, the veil has been torn and we can stand, we have, we can, the Bible says, boldly come before the throne of grace. Our team led us right before the throne today in worship of almighty God. I wonder how do you respond whenever you are face to face with his glory in all of his glory? When we sing the truth about who Jesus, King Jesus is, I wonder if we respond like Isaiah. Woe to me, he cried. You know what that means? Great sorrow to me. That's what woe means. Woe means great distress to me. I am ruined. One translation I read this week says it like this. He said, it's all over. I'm doomed. That's what this really means. Woe, great sorrow and distress to me. I am ruined because I am unclean. And it was as though this giant magnifying glass magnified his uncleanness and his unworthiness as he stood before King Jesus. And he said, and I live among unclean people. Okay. I have to say this to you. I have to bring this truth to you. That this response that we see in Isaiah, of, uh, we, in, I, we see Isaiah responding in this way, is the every time response of a human being who has a real encounter with Jesus. A real encounter with the King of glory, the Lord Almighty. I want that to sink in just a little bit. This has been wiping me out this week. Because I am not responding the way I'm supposed to respond, the way that it's like I don't truly see who Christ is. Because if I did, it would ch fundamentally change everything I think about, everything that I say, every way that I act. Because this is the every time response. Woe to me! I'm ruined! Can I say it this way? with all the love and respect and in my heart to say to you that if you have not had a fall on your face, woe to me, I am ruined, I am doomed because of my sin. If you have not had that experience, 
then you have never truly had a true conversion experience. The natural, instinctive human response to being confronted with the holiness of God will always result in humility followed by repentance. Peter experienced that. The very first time he experienced the miracle-working Jesus in Luke chapter 5, Luke tells us that he fell on his knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. That was the first time he responded. He, He experienced Jesus in his glory performing a miracle, and that was his natural, instinctive response. He fell down. John, remember in Revelation? He's on the Isle of Patmos and he has this vision just like Isaiah of Jesus in all of his glory. And John, when he saw that, it said he fell down on his face as though he was dead. This magnifies this truth that man is sinful to the bone. It speaks to the basic foundational doctrine of the total depravity of man. You know what that means? It means that we're totally corrupt, that we're totally evil, and that we are totally perverted. That's what depravity means. I am a man of unclean lips, he says, and I, I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And you cry out, that's not very nice. That's not politically correct. You can't say that. You can't, you say whatever you want about yourself, but you can't bring everybody else into that with you. I live in a people of unclean lips. How dare you? That's what we're being told today. You know how he can say that? You know why he can say that with confidence and cry it out? Because he understands God's word. And in Jeremiah 17, 9, God says that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? You know what you have to do if you believe that the world has to say about that? You have to rip that out of your Bible. Just take that, go to, go to Jeremiah 17, 9 and just rip it out of your Bible. It's the only way that you can say anything different about the condition of the human soul. We are so bad, we are so deceitful that we're desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? How Who knows? Do you know? Do you really know how bad your soul is? Come on. Come on. You balcony dwellers probably do, right? You totally get it, right? Have you guys ever, have have you ever been like, where did that come from? Like somebody, your, your neighbor, comes over and just rips your head off because you like mowed six inches into his yard. 
And you're like, where does that, where did that come from? Have you ever acted out in a way where when you're done, you are completely appalled at yourself and you say, where did that come from? How could I have said those things? How, how could I have done that? Where, who knows how bad our hearts are? Do you? Have we even explored the depths of the wickedness of man? How many times do we continue to hear on the news and we hear something like, I can't believe that. I'm ashamed to be part of the human race. Who would do that kind of thing? Have you ever been there? You know why we're there? It's because we're wicked. Who really knows how bad God does? Because if you were to go on to Jeremiah 17 to verse 10, God's like, I know. Call on me. I can tell you how bad you are. And the reason I can is because he says, I can say this because I have searched your hearts and I have examined your secret places, your secret motives. And I will reward you with what you deserve according to all that comes out of your hearts. You know, Jesus spoke to this. Jesus says, you are what you are on the outside because of what you are on the inside. He totally gets how depraved we are. He totally gets how desperate we are in need of salvation. For from the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said, and the good a man does or the evil a man does comes from what he has stored up in his heart. For those of us who are saved, yes, I'm saved by grace. We sang about it today. Yes, I am forgiven of my sins. Yes, I am a child of God. Yes, I am one of the most powerful people on the planet. But it's not because of me and because of my righteousness. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me. Outside of his work in our lives, you and I are like Isaiah who says, I am doomed. I'm ruined. It's all over. I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people with wicked hearts. We're doomed because of the sinful condition of our hearts. And I just have to say that this truth has got to be absolutely clear in each of our minds, in each of our hearts, because the fake news on this, are you ready? Is that I'm okay, and you're okay. And the only reason I'm not okay, if I'm not okay, is because something happened to me or someone did something to me to make me not okay. That's the world's philosophy. Or my life didn't go the way that it should have, and that's why I'm acting out so badly. It's not my fault. If everything went just hunky-dory in my life, then I would never be bad. It's a lie. 
but it's not just a humanistic view of the condition of man. You don't have to go very far. Remember we talked about the mainline church, the mainline denominational church? You don't have to go very far into that to find this false narrative about the human condition. Anybody know who Glenn Beck is? You know what Glenn Beck's peddling? He's, he's a professed Christian, but he's confused on this. This is what he says. People are inherently good. Our souls are magnificent and capable of extraordinary performance. Is there some truth in there? Come on, is there some truth in there? There's absolutely some truth. Are our souls magnificent and capable of extraordinary performance? Absolutely. But it negates everything when you say people are inherently good. He's totally confused on the basic foundational truth of depravity. How about Victoria Osteen? Pastor Joel Osteen's wife got in front of her church, and this is what she put out there. When we obey God, we aren't really doing it for God, really. We're doing it for ourselves. I'm saying it this way because this is how she said it. Because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's what gives him the greatest joy. (laughs) That's what I said. What? Listen, my friends, this, past, this dear pastor's wife is totally misled. She is totally misinformed. She is totally drinking the philosophy of the world today. You know, many will tell you that in order for you to love other people and to love God, you must first love yourself. That's what the world tells us. The reality is, That until you have a clear view of God and his holiness and then you see yourself in light of that holiness as totally depraved and in deep need of rescuing like Isaiah who is saying, I'm doomed because of who I am. You'll never be able to help anybody. In fact, the only way you can with empathy lean into somebody who's really struggling with their humanity is when you have a full understanding of who you are and your depravity and your deep need of salvation and the reception of that salvation and how you didn't deserve that to be able to help them find the same thing you have found. You want to really love other people? Then figure out what's going on in here and understand who you are compared to God. That's the path to helping somebody else. You can't can't love other people until the love of God is in you. That's what John tells us. Gandhi missed it. Do you you understand that? You know who Gandhi is, right? Gandhi said, humanity is an ocean. If a few drops of the ocean are dirty, the ocean does not become dirty. Dirty. I don't know what your opinion of Gandhi is, but with all due respect, he is totally backwards. The ocean is dirty, Gandhi. And Jesus is at work to clean it up, to clean up the mess we've made of it because of the sin that's in our hearts. Can I go one more? You got one more in you? You deal with one more? How about Eric Johnson, one of the pastors of Bethel Church? You're not born evil. 
It's amazing how many people, how many teachings and theologies start with that thought. Every government, every structure, every system fundamentally and theologically must start with the concept and the idea that people are good and they mean to do good. Get this now. This is what they're peddling. We have to adjust our theology. We have to adjust our perspective of people. No, we don't, Eric. You're totally making that up. I mean, go to the word, man. Go to the Bible. Don't you know, Eric, that God has made it clear in Romans 3.10 that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Anybody like getting the theme here? Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. And here's why. There is no fear of God before their eyes. There's the truth, Eric. Preach that truth to your people. Take your platform that God has given to you and speak the truth in love. Man, Phil, you're really depressing me today. (sighs) Listen, it is so vital that we have a clear view of this, my friends. It's, we have got to be clear because a clear view of who we are will help us understand in humility how blessed And how fortunate we are to have had our names called out by the king of glory himself. To be singled out from the world and its system and called to live a holy, distinctly separated life from the world. And it's not because we're better than anybody else. I'm not better than my neighbor. It's not because I'm better than the thugs down the street. I'm no more worthy than anyone else in the world to receive his mercy and to receive his grace. I'm just a broken, sinning recipient of that grace and mercy and favor. I didn't do anything to earn his favor or to deserve his favor. I've just been chosen to receive it. I've just been chosen to be his child. Oh, Praise his name, my soul, because I have been called by the king of kings. My name has been called in the midst of my depravity. Remember George Yance of the cathedral? Some of you old folks know that. Remember him? He'd get filled up with this kind of truth, and he would stop, and he'd go, excuse me one second. Back, and he would say, You got one of those in you, you better get it out or it'll hurt you. (laughs) That's how I feel about this. That's how you ought to feel about this. We have to have a clear view of who we are. And when we do, the redemption is that much sweeter. The atonement is so much more appreciated And your life will be much more dedicated to Christ and his work because you fully know 
how far you have fallen and how high he has lifted you up out of your depravity and saved you. Back to Isaiah, verse six. Watch what happens next because we, we're, we're in the depths of the bad news right now and we're gonna climb out of it, right, in the last few minutes. You, you okay with that? Let's go, come on. Verse six, one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. So here he is, Isaiah is like, I'm sure he's on his face. Woe is me, woe is me. And here comes this seraphim with a live coal. Verse seven, with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Your sin has been paid for. My friends, listen to me closely. This is a picture of our purification from our sins. The seraph is like Jesus who comes down to us and purifies us by his blood. This is called the doctrine of the atonement of Christ. John writes about it in 1 John 1 where he says, the blood of Jesus, God's son, purifies us from all of our sins. The Bible is clear that while we are still in our sinful condition, while we are in total depravity, Christ loved us and died for us. The Bible says that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. That's really good news, my friends. And through that act of love, we now have been justified or declared righteous before God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have now gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Our guilt is taken away. He came down with, that, with the tongs and he came down and he said to you, he said, I'm gonna touch this to your lips. I take your sin away. How awesome is that? How great is that? You don't have to do anything but understand your condition and in humility repent before God, fall before him, and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How Praise the name of the Lord, church, for all that he has done for us. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, Paul says. We've been rescued from our hopeless, sinful condition. He remembers our sin against us no more. He has removed our sins, and he says he casts them as far as the east is from the west. He buries them in the deepest sea, and he will remember our sins against us no more. Lift up your voice, church, and praise him for his salvation. Lift up your voice, church, and praise him for your salvation. His salvation has come to you. When you didn't deserve it, when you were totally depraved. But wait, you want some more good news? Can you handle a little bit more? Let's look at it, verse eight. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I cried out, here am I, send me, I'll go. So here's the final truth of this passage. Christ purifies us and restores us to usefulness. There's some good news you can take home with you today. The Lord has taken your sins away 
and in so doing has restored the relationship between you and the Father that sin broke. We are all, because of our sin, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, the scripture says. We can't do anything. We fall short of the glory of God because of our sin. But praise the name of the Lord. He has made a way for us, and Christ comes, and through his death, he has restored the relationship that was broken between us and the Father. But in so doing, he restores us to usefulness. That's what this passage tells us about. And I want to just sit here in this moment for a second here. What has Isaiah done to earn the ability to be brought back to usefulness? He realizes his sinfulness. He falls before the Lord, and he cries out, I'm doomed. Jesus comes down and purifies him. The seraph comes down and purifies him, takes away his guilt, takes away his sin, and immediately says, hey, I got a job for somebody to do. Who wants to go? Well, who's he talking to? Who's the Lord talking to? Who else is in the building? He's talking to Isaiah. He's calling up Isaiah. Who will go for me? And what's Isaiah's response? I'll go. Here I am. Send me. Aren't you glad, my friends? That he doesn't hold the sins of your past against you? Aren't you glad that he doesn't come down and say, here, I have this purification, Cole, and I want, I want to take your sins away, but you got some things you need to do for me first. You, you willing to do some things for me first? In fact, I'm going to take your sin away, but you're going to have to take a time out and pay for those for a little bit. Because I, I need to know that you really mean your repentance. I, I need to know you're really sorry for your sin. And once I, and I don't know what time it'll be, but once I have enough time and you've set out in time out long enough and you've proved your repentance, then I may have a job for you. Aren't you, aren't you glad we don't have a God like that? Be, you know why you should be glad? Because no one would make it. We Am I the only one in the building who fails every day? Good, thank you. <laughs> Hallelujah. He takes your sin away and immediately calls you up and says, hey, now that you're all cleaned up, by the way, you did nothing to clean yourself up. I did it all. Once you're now all cleaned up, and you're justified before my father, I got a job for you. You willing to do it? Are you willing to step up? Are you willing to step up? Alex, are you willing to step up? <laughs> are you willing to step up? Are you willing to, who will be like Isaiah? And your response will be, here I am. Send me. Who will go before us? You notice the us? That's really interesting. That's a great study right there. Who will go before us? He's talking about the Godhead is calling Isaiah up. He's calling you up. The Godhead is calling you up and say, I have a job to do on the earth, and I need you to do it. Who will go before me? 
He's not, a, he's not a slave master. He doesn't like crack the whip and say, okay, now I saved you. You owe me. Get to work. He doesn't do that. He says, who will go? And because you understand who you are in his holiness, because you understand from how far you have fallen and how high he has brought you in salvation, your response ought to be ah, like Horshack. Only you old people know from Welcome Back, Cotter, Horshack. Ow, 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 pick me. That's how it ought to be. Every Christian who truly understands what they've been saved from ought to be like, take me, I'll go. Yes, 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 take me. Here I am, Lord, here I am, take me. But how many Christians, and this, I'm not trying to hurt anybody here, but how many Christians are like, ah, I'm on vacation I, you know, I put my time in. I'm on, I'm on retirement. Uh, I'm not really all that into it. Can I just say you've lost your first love if that's, what you, is, that's what's going on. You have, lost your, you have lost the sense of what almighty God, King Jesus, has done for you. I'm done. My, can I just say that this passage, this is the gospel. This is what we evangelicals embrace. It's simple. I see the Lord. I recognize his infinite holiness. I see my sin. And I recognize my unworthiness and my depravity. I confess my sin. I humble myself and repent in my spirit. And I receive his grace like a wave washing over my life. And then I live the rest of my life in his service, volunteering for every job that he has laid out there for me as a grateful, forgiven sinner with the burning desire to share my freedom with every other bad-to-the-bone human on the planet. It's as simple as that. This is who we are. And this awareness, if we'll let it, will change the way we think and will change the way we behave. And when that happens, the church will truly be great again. I was talking to the praise team up here this morning and saying, how awesome would it be? Because what they do, they come here early. I don't know if you know that, but they're here at like 6.30, 7 o'clock preparing. But they have worked all week long. They come in here on Wednesday night and they have a two-hour rehearsal. They memorize their music. Some of you have, have come to me and said, you know, I think they're just a bunch of performers. You totally don't know who they are, if that's, if that's how you feel about them. These people have given their lives to lead us before the throne of grace. And they're up here, and this morning as I was down here in rehearsal with them, I was sitting down here and I got this vision of the church because they had all prepared. 
and they were all warmed up. I sat here for like the 30 minutes that they were up here playing their guitars and warming up and tuning and getting all ready. And then there was a two-minute countdown, and during that two-minute countdown, every single person was in their place, ready to go, ready to launch and do the will of their father. And I saw the church in, in that, and I thought, man, how awesome would it be if every born-again believer, if every single person immerse themselves in God and his word every day and God and his will and every day we walked with a true sense of who we are and what we have been saved from and we prepare and we're ready and we stand ready to go out every person with a unique position and a unique part to play in his plan that he's accomplishing on the earth ready to go out and accomplish his will what would the church be like if that was going on? Am I like just out of my mind to think that we could be that kind of church? Okay, I guess I am. That's my desire. That's my heart. That's what I cry out to God for. I cried out to God for that this morning, that we, this little microcosm of his big church, would lead the way because we have a full, clear view of him and his holiness and us in our depravity and how awesome it is that he has called us and saved us by his grace. Stand with me and let me pray for you. Before I start to pray, um, I just want to speak to anyone in the building here and anyone online. And I want to say to you, those, I'm talking to people who you either aren't sure you have a conversion experience with the Lord or you know you haven't. I want you to know that those steps that I laid out of seeing the Lord, seeing his holiness and having an awareness of his holiness and seeing yourself and having an awareness of your sinfulness, that today you can repent of your sin, confess your sin, and repent of your sin, and in humility you can receive the love and grace and mercy and salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I invite you to not leave this building if you need that salvation. You come right here after the service. When everybody's walking out there, you walk right up here. Put your hand in mine. And let me help you find salvation. Those of you who are online, please reach out to us. There's a way you can do that right now. You can click a button right now and say, I want to connect with somebody because I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ right now. Please let us help you. And your life will drastically change. Lord, help us with this truth. Help us as we wrestle with our humanity. But thank you that while we were sinners, you came and died for us because of your great love for us. Thank you for the free gift of salvation. I ask that you change us with that truth, that you'll help us get back to our first love, and that the way we live for you out in our world will reflect our gratitude, and that we would live in a way that doesn't waste your grace. I pray for all my brothers and sisters here as we go out into our world that you will use us powerfully. 
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hey, have I told you lately that I love you? Well, I do. Share some of that love with each other on your way out, okay? God bless you. Thank you for joining us for our worship service online today. Our hope is that the worship and teaching has stirred your affections for Jesus Christ and has inspired you to love God, love others, and influence our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you made a spiritual decision today or if you just want prayer with somebody, would you click on our connection card link and there you can find the help that you need. Also, we encourage you if you haven't already, Download our church app from the App Store today so that you can connect with us in that way and the many different tools that it offers. As always, our website offers a host of opportunities and resources for you, and you can find that at fbcalcar.org. Hey, thank you again for joining us today. We'll see you right back here next week. See ya.